Hello and welcome to episode 115 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray preparing to hit the ceremonial first tee shot as all eyes turn to Muirfield and the final major of the golfing. I'm not really hitting the first tee shot. Just, if anybody was worried, I won't be hitting the first tee shot. All uh, right. I wrote, I wrote this very early this morning. Yes, it's Women's Open Week and a special one at that as the world's best descent on a club that has been no stranger to controversy in recent years. The Honourable Company of Edinburgh Golf is voting against allowing women members in 2016 before mercifully seeing the light and reversing that decision a year later. We'll talk about that journey and its importance to the game in the bigger picture, as well as some good old-fashioned golf nerdery with women and golf editor Emma Ballard joins us from on the ground in just a moment. But first, let me bring in my in-studio co-host, Adrian Logue. Our first time recording in the new digs this week. Has the move met with your satisfaction? It, it's a much more pleasant walk <laughs> up the hill here. It's just a, like a gentle short half four more up the sl- hill from more the slope than a hill, really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. And and it's a, on a proper footpath. That other walk was one of the that was one of the worst walks in golf. Going across the freeway there, <laughs> even though it's in the middle of a sort potholes and c- lumps. CBD. There's no surprise about that. Well, I'm glad that. Uh, How's the coffee? You happy enough with the? No, no, the coffee is terrible. But okay, we'll move on. Time to talk golf. Emma Ballard is the editor of online magazine Women and Golf. She's a friend of the pod, but more importantly than that, she's on site at Muirfield for this week's event and has stayed up late, especially to talk to us here on the other side of the world. Emma, good to have you aboard. What's the excitement like early in the week? From all the way over here, it does feel like it's buzzing already. Yeah, no, it's um, it's really good to be back. I feel like I'm very excited to have my second uh, outing on the pod. Um, and um, yeah, it's 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 one of these ones that's sort of been built up over the last few months as potential controversy. There's been, you know, what's the feeling going to be on the ground when we get here? And um, to be honest, I mean, I, I've I've looked at it from a positive light, so I was quite excited to be here. I really wanted to just you know just be be here and, and absorb it all. So um, yeah, so far um, I've not heard any complaints whatsoever from anybody. The press conferences we've been in. All the players are talking in in a way that they they're actually genuinely excited to be playing somewhere that has hosted sixteen Open Championships before. Yeah. So I mean, from from my point of view, it's uh, it's it's ticking all the boxes so far. It was always going to happen for Muirfield this week, wasn't it? Like we remember that twenty sixteen vote, and I think well, I know John Huggan wrote a brilliant piece in Digest. They were staggered the club at the response to that in twenty sixteen. Within days, mm-hmm. they'd had the open taken off them. They were off the rotor. Took them about a year to reorganise the vote and get the thing done. But this is a big moment, is is it not? Is it more? Is it is it as important as many of us are making out? It feels to me like, and not just for golf, it's a big deal. I think. Yeah, it caught it caught the membership there by surprise in 2016. I think the majority did vote uh, in favour of allowing women. Just not enough. Club, they needed uh, yeah. two thirds, or I think it was two thirds. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so 64 percent or something did vote positively, but uh, that that wasn't enough, and they were surprised <laughs> that they didn't make it. Um, and uh, then they they faced those consequences. But then I think we can see. Uh, a great redemption story this week and uh, everyone loves a good comeback and a great redemption story and uh, the golf is better with Muirfield being uh, a championship venue and uh, what better way to welcome it back into the championship rotor than with the Women's Open. Absolutely. It feels like there's been a bit of a mea culpa from Muirfield which I think has probably been an excellent way for them to handle it strategically but I also feel as though, having read John Huggins' piece, it's genuine. There's a real feeling of 
Uh, they want to they want to be seen not to be the rudest members club in the world, which is how they used to be seen. Yeah, I I think so, and I think that that point of view that I think one of the things that, st- that stuck out for me is this whole, although they are now welcoming women members, and I think you know obviously it doesn't sound like many, but they've got twenty, and I think that the idea is that in the next I don't know within the next year there's going to be twenty five, which again doesn't sound many, but it's still a move forwards. But they are members, and I think that's that that idea that they're not lady members. They are members, and they they've they've been the new members, whether they're men or women, are inco- have been completely incorporated into the club. Um, I don't know the figures, but I know that they've invested a lot of money to build to extend the club to then have facilities and make sure there's all the the things that are needed for for the new uh, female members that are joining. Um, I'm quite excited because apparently I'm, I'm, if I just ask tomorrow, I can have a, a little tour of the clubhouse. So that's uh, that's on my agenda tomorrow morning. So I think I'll be able to tell you more then about what the facilities are like inside. But I, it, it does get that feel that the women that are there now are very, very happy and have been welcomed almost with open arms and just one of the other members there. Not It's not, you know, there's no divide or anything like that. Yeah. Well, of course, the, you wouldn't just have 100 places available to invite in 100 new members, women or otherwise at Muirfield, would you like? I mean, no, that's there, true. There, there, think, there wouldn't be a huge number of spots available. I think there's about 800 members at Muirfield in total. So, uh, you know, they'll have a certain intake each year and it's you know getting to 20 within a few years is, seems not like a huge start, but it's it's a start. And you know, but I was going to say again. I think in that in that hug in, in John's piece, it also said about almost that these some of these women had been sort of fast tracked, if you know what yeah. I mean. You know, there'd been a system in place to get them in quicker because yeah. it is a very long process, I right. believe, to become a member of Muirfield anyway. Yeah, and we'd... has it completely destroyed the culture of the club, <laughs> Emma? Like they, <laughs> I think Emma's already made the point. All... Has it? Although it is. The danger with these things is that it could be a box-ticking exercise. And this doesn't look to be that, Emma. I, I, I don't think so. I, th- I think what got me at the time um, is, and, and obviously I wasn't in this role um, when I was doing that, and I was much more of an impassioned fan of, of women's golf at the time when, when they did the vote, is there was so much outcry across the golf media, golf industry about it. Um but still, you know, I still felt like all we did was talk about the negatives. All we do is talk about the negative, negative, mm. negatives. And we've done it all to death, haven't we? We've talked about it. Why do they have the revote? You know, basically they did it because they wanted the open back on the road, be back on the open rotor. But that story's been sort of done to death, or in my in my opinion. And it was done, you know, when it when it happened. And even when they were announced as the host, um, there was not even a murmuring. Within the, within the golf media, as far as I can remember, it's only in the last few months in the build up that we started to hear, oh, well, you know, you know, why have they got it so early? Why why haven't they, you know, why hasn't it gone somewhere else that should be, which is more worthy? So someone that's a, a place that supports women's golf more than than they did to that point. But I don't know. I mean, if if a place has hosted sixteen Open Championships, it, it's it's known by golf fans. Surely we want women's mm-hmm. golf, and I, I don't want it to be. I don't, I don't want to say that we're piggybacking men's golf, but you know you want to go to places that golf fans recognise and, and are passionate about and would like to go and watch. 
you know that's you know, Muirfield will be a pull in that respect and that can only be a good thing for getting eyes on women's golf yeah and we spoke about this last time which I think was a couple of weeks in fact I must address what David McLaren had to say on Twitter I never got around to responding to his Twitter I've been very busy but uh, I think he made a not completely unfair point in our discussions about the Evian but before we come to that the importance of taking the women's open and it was the women's open that really started this to Courses of greater prestige and better golf courses really has elevated mm. the women's majors. By far, they have elevated themselves in the last 20 years, much more so than the men's, simply by choosing the venues they go to. A mule field is almost universally regarded as the best and most complete test of golf on the open rotor. Yeah. Yeah, There's, it's an interesting course, isn't it? It's It looks very sort of plain and mm. humorless. It's like a very humorless. That's yeah, nice. it's, a, it's sort of lacking in quirk. I haven't actually been there. I'm just going off what I see. I've been to as far as the gates at Muirfield, and I never got further than that. Um, they didn't let you in. No, <laughs> they, they've kicked <laughs> off much better golfers and more more famous people than you. Don't worry about They've that. They've got bloke. those very impressive gates, but it's uh, you know I think it's one of those ones. that's more than the sum of its parts. When you look at it as a whole, it's uh, an incredible you know storied championship venue, but. It's it's like unrelentingly not quirky in in a way that is out a little bit out of character for that part of the world, and uh, but an, an incredible test at the same time, um, and uh, you know it's sort of a uniformly st- a stern it's a stern golf course, and uh, I, I'll be looking at it really. Cl- I, I've, that Mickelson Open I think was one of the most memorable we've had in recent memory, and uh, the green approaches were a little soft that week. Otherwise, it was. Uh, playing incredibly firm and dusty, and it was a very hot summer that year, I think, similar to this year. So um, with the different shot characteristics that the women play, I'm going to be really interested to see um, how it performs and and to take a much closer look at it than than perhaps we did uh, when the Open was last hosted there. So um, great, you know, really excited to see this week. And uh, we've got a lot of it on TV in Australia as well. It's good. Seven hours of coverage. Oh, have you? Day. Yeah, we've got we've got quite a bit here, but it's not quite wall to wall. It's like not the open, open. but you wouldn't expect it to yeah. be wall to wall. To be fair, that was an exception. But <laughs> I think we've got seven hours a day in Australia for the yeah. first two rounds, and about six hours for the third and fourth round. Really? Yeah. yeah, as much as that. Yeah, I think we've got something similar. To be fair, I think we start um, start coverage at eleven a.m. Yeah. But obviously, Katrina Matthews got her uh, honorary tee shot at six thirty a.m. So it's all for the. She actually said today that she was pleased that, um, you know, hopefully there wouldn't be too many fans there to watch her tee off. But, I mean, I'd like to think there'd be quite a few there. But, uh, yeah, 6.30 with Louise Duncan, obviously, from last year's um, Heroics. I'm sure she's going to be very popular to follow this year too. No question about that. In fairness to here as well, the Open's on in the middle of the night Australian time, so they're not really competing for primetime television viewing. So seven hours is fantastic. I'm not knocking that. 8 8 p.m. it starts in the first two rounds. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's primetime. I think that's... So now you started at, what, 3pm? Starting at 3, 3.30? We were watching the very first tee shot each day. Oh, the men's open. Yeah, yeah, it was was really early. (laughs) That was amazing. I just wanted to touch on this thing with David McLaren, uh, Meg's dad, who uh, is a listener and possibly listening today. Did you listen to our last episode? I know you're a listener as well. We talked about the Evian. We were very critical of the course and some discussion about it being Mm -hmm. uh, a major and how it was just suddenly anointed a major in 2013. Some old issues that other people have spoken about. I didn't feel – we certainly weren't trying to trash it, which is the word. Trash, I think, is a strong word. That felt a bit strong. Is it David got a point? Are we talking about the wrong thing Um, with Evian? No, no, I have have listened. Um, I actually listened – well, funnily enough, 
sorry, you know, I'm always a bit late mm. to your podcast. Like I always try and listen on time, but not this time I didn't. But same, so same I saw idea. David's tweet before I listened to the right. podcast. So I'm sorry to so did it, have done it around the wrong way. But tainted before. Um, you. Shame I, on shame on you. <laughs> I, do, I mean, it's something that sticks in my mind from a few years ago when um, there was a. You know, I remember there was a post that went out from a player and it was showing about the fair, the condition of the fairways and it was just appalling. Um, and then promptly, literally the next day of me thinking of that, my phone said on this day three years ago. And it was a, it was Lexi Thompson who'd shared a post on her social about the conditions of the fairways, which were just quite frankly, not major standard or anything like that. Um, the one thing that actually struck me and may have struck you guys, because obviously you recorded this before you watched it. Um, was actually that the, the overall condition of the course, so you know the quality of the course actually was looked fantastic oh. on well on, on my on my screen it looked yep. fantastic, but I think it is definitely quirky, and it's whether that sort of appeals. You know, I I'm not a good enough golfer to be able to comment on that, but you know you'd hear the commentators say, oh, on a putt, you know, this is going to break from the right, and then it would break from the left because actually a lot of the things on that course, are, you know, because of the the way that's built, um, it make it quite an interesting yeah. proposition for a lot of the golfers. So that would be my only comment. So I didn't think you were too harsh on what you said, um, because I know what's gone before, but I don't know. It, I mean, I know they put on a brilliant show from the point of view of of how they look after the players and things like that. So I guess that that might be part of it as well. There's there's two things at play, isn't there? And it's, and and David makes a reasonable point. Here is a sponsor who's tipped an enormous sum of money into golf. It feels somewhat rude to be invited into the house and then told that your product is not up to scratch. In fairness, in our defence, I think we've been more than critical of plenty of men's major courses over time as well, which is kind of what I felt we were doing there in particular. And the Evian does have that unusual history of. And I would say that just having a sponsor spending money does not necessarily elevate an event. It's welcome and it's wonderful, but... There's something deeper about the majors than just now. There's no doubt that Evian and the sponsors are spending money and trying. And the move-in date from September to July has helped with the course condition. I remember one year that they had to put tarps over all the greens. They had a storm coming in. I was <laughs> expecting hail, and the course is presented flawlessly and all that sort of stuff. But that's different to the standard of the golf course in comparison to other golf courses and whether it's worthy of hosting a major what, is the question. I think what does elevate it to major status is that the players consider it a major. Of course they do. And that's a point that we made. That and as do we. Yeah. <laughs> you don't yeah. get to argue about yeah, whether absolutely. it's a major. It, yeah. it is a major. But part of this job is to point out and criticise things that uh, aren't necessarily right. So I uh, hope, David, that well, we didn't upset you too much. I, I think my – to clarify my position on it, I, I'm critical of its place mm. in – among five women's majors, you've got two that are at dedicated venues, and it's a disappointing venue from that point of view. As well, because it's a, it's a non-US major, mm. one of only two women's non-US majors, and it doesn't travel around. So, and and it's not a you know it's 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 a okay course. <laughs> it's not a it's not Augusta or yeah. the old course. In fairness, not every. No, no. I'd, I'd much rather see it travel around and. Uh, yeah, you know, so for taking up a whole place among the five majors, that that's a little bit of a loss to the women's game. I think that that doesn't travel around a globally mobile say, major. Sorry, globally mobile major was, in either was, the men's or the women's game would be a fantastic thing to see. And you would think that a company like Evian, which is global, would be in a position to do it. Sorry, Emma. No, I was going to say, and I wonder whether 
um, on a, on a bigger scale is the fact that obviously the LET has an event there as well. So they have the Jabra there. So does that then sort of devalue it slightly from the point of view that you go to the same place but have yeah, like two quite, different events? One's like a major, hollow. one's not a major. Yeah. I wonder if that devalues it slightly, but maybe that's in a bigger picture because obviously most people, obviously, if they watch women's golf, are probably only tuning in potentially for the majors. Yep, indeed. And look, Brooke Henderson is counting herself a two-time major champion, as she should, because she is. That was a fabulous oh. win of hers. And what a player Amazing she's... final round. Well... It was proper nail-biting stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. The quality of the golf, you cannot... Uh, you could not fault. That was, uh, was, as you say, it was a fascinating finish. And we're hoping to get another one this week. Let's get on to some of the golf nerdery stuff. Just first observations, sights and sounds from being on the ground. You're a bit of an old hand at this now. This uh, covering majors and off to the golf. Did you go to the old court? Did you go to the the men's open, by the way, at St Andrews? Did you get there at all? No, I didn't, unfortunately. I think um, being a women-specific golf title, I would have been trying to push it a little bit to try and get media accreditation for a, a men's uh, major. Um, I hope to maybe go to one. I mean, I've been to ones in the past, hopefully to cover uh, in the future, but that would be... Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. It's uh, it's pretty tricky to get accreditation there, but uh, it was great to watch. Um, I actually think probably a better viewing point sometimes being at home when you can watch it from your comfort of your sofa and not have to uh, scramble amongst the crowd. I mean, it was quite crazy those scenes on eighteen as the. I mean, I've heard about someone almost breaking a leg or something trying to climb mm-hmm. over a wall and stuff. So it was uh, it was quite unbelievable to, to watch. But um, yeah, I mean, obviously, I was. No offence, I was rooting for Rory, so uh, was a, <laughs> you was, a, was a little bit disappointed to get across, but equally Cam Smith's performance. And I think, to be fair, you know, Cam Young was unlucky that he didn't get as much uh, credit for what he did as well, so shoot, shoot, it was really good to watch. Shoot 65 on Sunday in a major and don't win. There wouldn't have been mm. too many times <laughs> that that has happened, for sure. The reason yeah. I was asking about whether you'd been to the Men's Open was uh, I was sort of thinking about a comparison. One thing I thought during the Men's Open this year was – St Andrews and the place and the old course are amazing just to go there at any time is sort of spiritual and wonderful and you'd think that going to a, an open there would be amazing. It kind of looked a bit too packed for me. I reckon 2024 is the time to go when the women play the the open there. That will be an amazing experience where you'll be able to get close to stuff. This is a smaller – it's a big event, but it's a smaller version of the men's open, isn't it, the women's open? And what's, what's the buzz like and what's it like on the ground, sights and sounds and first observations? Yeah, I think I think the thing – thing that's frustrating about women's golf is it is always going to be for the time being smaller mm-hmm. and a lot smaller at that you know when you're talking about i don't know what was it was it 260 oh. something thousand people yeah. across the week there now at the women's open i don't know whether they'll change it going forward but spectators are only in from thursday through sunday so you know there isn't that ability just to come and watch the pro-am days which in my opinion having been to previous opens that they're actually sometimes the best days just to go and have a wonder see what the guys are doing what they're what they're practicing um in fact i honestly when i've been before i've gone on practice days and then gone home and watched the rest of the open at home so it's maybe that's a missed opportunity i don't know but how many people would come out on a tuesday or a wednesday to come and watch watch the women i don't know um I think they're they're looking to get about thirty to thirty five thousand spectators this week, so you know that really is quite a fraction of of what you what you get at a, at a men's well, at the men's open. Um, so yeah, I mean it's great that you get that ability to be really close and see all the action, and pretty much you can pick your spot on the course and you can 
you know, be happy that you're not going to have to sort of stand on your tiptoes to try and look over other people to watch play. But equally, it's a little bit disheartening that it's not 80, 90, 100,000, 150,000 plus. Um, so, you know, maybe when it goes to St Andrews, because off the back of the 150th Open and people that missed out going to that, there might be a bit of an influx for that one. Um, um, but just be interesting to see. You're kind of getting in on the ground floor in some ways if you're going and watching the women's golf and women's majors. Although I must say, I didn't know that there was no no coming in on the practice days. And I was just realised I was chatting to one of the LPGA caddies, the only LPGA caddy I know, Dean Hurden, who caddies for Inji Chun. I think I'm just looking on my once. I'm pretty sure he told me there were two pro-ams this week. Is that right? Pro-ams yeah, there, there was one today. There's one today, and there's one tomorrow. Not, I think it's it. Well, as far as I can see, it's different players. So oh, okay. no players are playing two two no, pro-ams. No, 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 it's, no. Some of the field playing a prime today and some playing tomorrow. Okay. Still in 2022, prime at a men's major is an unthinkable proposition. Yeah, let alone two. <laughs> let alone two. That's exactly <laughs> right. But, so there's a long way to go, I guess, in that parody idea if that's where we're trying to get to. Though, as I think as a spectator, yeah. you're sort of on the ground floor. Why? Are they, I don't understand why they wouldn't let people in to watch the Pro-Am, Emma. That's um, – I don't – I don't – again, I've not been to enough women's Opens, to be honest – um, to know whether that was something that happened in the past. Um, obviously, last year um, at Carnoustie, we were under certain COVID restrictions mm, because yep. Scotland had different COVID restrictions to the rest of the UK. Um, so that was part of my reason that the, the tickets levels were actually capped um, for that for last year. So there was that. Um, I don't know. I mean, I always thought there was, it might be a COVID thing. Um, I can't. I can't confirm that, but it was... I just think for me, like today and tomorrow, my favourite days of oh, the week because I'm yeah. going out in between times going and watching what's going on. It's great. It might be a Muirfield thing. They're up to their old tricks, just kicking people out. <laughs> Not as welcoming <laughs> as they're all telling all the press and we've all fallen for it, hook, line and sinker. Right? <laughs> That's interesting. What about the course? Emma, we're going to come to some of the players. I know there's been a few press conferences that you've sat in already. I imagine you've had a chance to go out and wander a bit around the course. It is as humorless and stern as Logue suggests. What's your feelings about Muirfield? <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I used the word stunning in a tweet earlier, so maybe I'm not on the same same, same page. I mean, uh, I haven't had much time. I only arrived at, uh, you know, yesterday afternoon. So um, there's sort of back-to-back press conferences and stuff today and obviously having to keep up with the website. But no, I did take a sort of lunchtime wander out. Um, I tried to get out as far as so sort of 5 and 11 are sort of on the sort of corner. Um, it's about a 15 maybe 15 minute walk from the spectator village. It's not too far. Um, and yeah, I mean, you can't, what's taken in actually is almost not the golf course and not to downgrade the golf course, but the beautiful view across, um, you know, with all the water, it's just, it, it is just such a stunning location. I think, you know, I think, I think it was Nellie Corder that was talking about the fact she just really loved, and it wasn't just the course she liked, she really loved the views. Um, and I think that's, it's really appealing as a links course to have, that sort of that sort of seaside sort of feel to it as well. Um the you know the the actual you know the the fairways and everything look pretty pretty lush, pretty green. You know, the green keepers are completely on that. Um otherwise everywhere else looks a bit more sort of dried out. You know, the grass is quite sort of brown in in, in colour and things like that, because I think it's been pretty, pretty dry around here in the UK for the last couple of months really. So um but yeah it's looking good and it's quite warm. And it was quite windy today, and that's what threw them a little bit because it was nice and calm yesterday when they had their first nine holes or eighteen holes. So they're definitely having to sort of tackle with tackle the wind and seeing how they're going to play the shots into it. Mm-hmm. 
It, the rough is going to be interesting this week, I think, because, you know, it, it, apparently it can be quite thick. Tends towards very penal. Yeah. You'll feel generally. And, right. and that's where uh, holes just the, – the playing characteristics of holes change dramatically if you if your lie isn't good. Mm. Um, you know, suddenly mm. bunkers that don't seem to be in play are in play. Um, the 17th, I think, is – you know, the one sort of bit of quirk on the course is that there's – this like the seventeenth has a fantastic uh, complex of cross bunkers about two thirds of the way up the fairway. Be really interested to see if somebody drives it in the rough there whether those are in play. Mm-hmm. It, but they're the sort of bunkers I think that dictate play more than are in play. Right. You know the people you're, you're aware of them and you and you adjust your strategy and so you don't go in them. But they're dictating yeah. play. It's an interesting course from that point of view. I think. Yeah, I think um, one of the, probably the best insight I heard today was from Katrina Matthew talking about it, and she said probably the scoring holes, you know, the ones you've got to try and get uh, get some birdies on is is pretty much the first five holes, and then after that it's pretty much you know maybe on the front nine, but on the back nine you're just going to be scrambling to make par. It's she said that you know the par threes are tough. Um, you know, she's she was using quite long irons or hybrids in into the greens um, that. It actually wasn't too bad if you can hit, you know, for, for most of them, they can, they'll can they get on the fairway quite easily. But it's that second or third shot um, where it can be get get quite tricky. So the idea that potentially you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself to score, to score well on those opening uh, holes yeah. um, is, is quite interesting. If you stand on the sixth tee one over, you feel like you're already four over because you know you're not going to pick up shots. <laughs> you know, you've lost your opportunity. <laughs> that's right, coming, yeah. coming into the house. You've already used up all your handicap. Yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> it's an unusual routing, isn't it, Muirfield? It's kind of this... Two loops of nine, one inside the other, and so I watched constantly um, changing direction. That's exactly right. So there's never this constant. You don't get to play two holes downwind or two into the wind. Mm. This constant. So you're always a little bit off balance. Yeah. And the other thing, I think, a bit like some we talked about this with St Andrews and also Royal Melbourne, there are diabolical places to miss at Muirfield mm. where up and down in two is not an option, no matter who you are. Three is a job well done from some of those. So so there's always that danger hole, no matter where you're standing, there's that danger hole where you could hit it somewhere just almost unplayable uh, and, and, you know, play yourself out of the tournament. Or as Mickelson did in 2013, out of nowhere, swoop in. And, you know, if you hit the shots, you can uh, you can sort of make the scores. Gary, Gary Evans in the Millfield Open before that. That was just a tragedy, was it not? <laughs> it was terrible, yeah. Uh, just a tragedy. To, yeah, let's not go um, over that. Emma, Muirfield's one of the great path courses in the world. <laughs> I was waiting for this, yes, it's because a, it's a foursomes course. That's right. So there's all these little network of paths all throughout the course where, you know, the foursome, your partner's like going forward to wait, and to wait for your shot. Uh, have, have you been – you must have been very – you must be <laughs> If you had a look at the taken. aerial and mapped out where you're going to walk the foursomes path and so that you, you can You must load. be quite taken with the path. So, you know, do you have a report on the paths um, from – I mean, my problem is, is I'm a stickler for rules, so I I kept within the uh, you know the uh, sectioned barriers that I was meant to walk in. I mean, I didn't want to go anywhere else. I was actually there's a bit of a road that runs through part of it as well, so I was walking along that for a bit uh, by 18. So I, I don't know. I mean, the paths that were set out were good. I mean, okay. I'm, I'm, right. I'm not the I'm not the person to ask. You know, I'm, I'm not in that sort of frame of mind. But I am actually I'm actually quite lucky. I'm getting to play 
Muirfield on Monday after everyone's left. Mm -hmm. So I will check that out. That's going to be (laughs) my big thing to check out. Keep an eye on the pubs. Your playing partners won't know what you're talking about. So this is bloke in Australia. I've got to check out the pubs or I'll be back in a moment. I'm just going to go and have a look at uh, at this. Emmy, you mentioned there'd already been a bunch of press conferences, some of the players coming through. That's when you know the week's kind of started, when you sort of spot your first star player. Oh, that's such and such. Oh, that's Nelly. That's Minji. Who's been in and what sort of have they had to say? They can go either way, these press conferences. Often, they are a bit of an exercise in box ticking for both the journos and the players. Has it been that kind of thing? We are very early in the week. Uh, and Have you had much sense of sort of the, the players feeling about the course and what they're expecting in terms of its playability and perhaps even scoring? Um, I would say that overall, everyone was extremely positive. And whether you expect them to be doing it from a PR point of view or not, I thought it was quite genuine that they were really excited to be here, that they thought it was a great opportunity, that, you know, the fact that they were playing at a course that was so prestigious, all those sorts of words came out, historic moment, those sorts of things were sort of things that were said um, of them. I think uh, Nelly Corder had played the back nine and she'd been very complimentary about that. Obviously, um, we had Katrina after she'd played her pro-am, so she'd obviously been out properly testing it with the wind. Um, But no, I just think they all seem to be really pleased to be playing at Muirfield and playing a pro- what you know a links well obviously, no, obviously last year was but you know a links course mm. that you know Brooke Henderson was admitting that you know links isn't really her thing but she's like really excited for the challenge that she relies she rely quite a bit on her sister who is apparently very analytical and able to um you know help her with regards to the sort of shots she needs to be doing um and then as you said about the sort of way it's rooted um you know, Nellie Corder was saying that it is just so, like she said, she loves the fact that it's sort of one shot, you know, one hole you're playing down when then it's, you know, across and then whatever. So it was, yeah, I don't, I mean, yes, they were asked similar questions from the point of view, you know, how do you feel about this moment? You know, is it significant? Uh, you know, how will it impact women's golf? I mean, obviously Anna Nordquist was also um, someone that was spoken to today. Um and yeah, it's all about, you know, it's that same old sort same old sort of lines here, elevating women's golf and putting women's golf on the map and, and all that sort of thing. So I don't think you'll really see the impact of it today. Because no. obviously it's not even started. So it's it's gonna be interesting to see how it is going forward. But yeah, I mean, no, they weren't asked. I mean, to, to I mean, I was sitting there, I could ask them tricky questions. I'm not I'm not that in that sort of um I'm not that sort of person, but, you know, they they weren't really asked any particularly tricky questions. There was some about, you know, the prize money and and things like that, but nothing really to, you know, not getting into the politics of the vote or anything like that. So, you know, maybe maybe the journalists were feeling kind today as it was day one and not having to go into too much detail. Or maybe they just got exhausted all the questions last week at the Women's Scottish Open. Maybe it's time to focus on the golf, which brings us neatly to, like, those sorts of answers, I'm not very familiar with Lynx Golf, but I love it. Or I uh, watched a little bit of Nelly's press conference on YouTube. She sort of said something, so I haven't played a lot of Lynx Golf. I like the warmer weather. Some of the shots look similar to what we've played in Australia before. She won out here, of course, in fabulous fashion at the Grange. The Australian Women's Open showed us that she has all of the shots, not just the big, high, looping, <laughs> looping drives and that sort of thing. Uh, does that encourage you to hear players talk that way? I mean, it doesn't sound like players who are kind of getting it to me. They sound like... That sort of talk is a player who on Thursday afternoon or Saturday morning could find themselves in a position thinking, what is this? This doesn't really resemble anything I've ever come across before in golf. Yeah, it's a, it is a big adjustment for uh, professional golfers to 
to come to play that links swing. Particularly US-centric. The LPGA yeah. are US-centric, and you play a lot of very soft, very much, here's the number, hit the number kind of goal. That's right. Where your ball lands is not where it finishes, and there's uh, also a lot's determined by the path that your ball's taking through the air and your, con- your ability to control the ball uh, through the air. But the thing about a Nelly Corder is that, you know, and all great golfers, they can work it out. Yeah. And it's just how quickly they, they work it out. And uh, she has incredible control over a ball and she can control the spin. She can control the flight. She She's an extraordinary golfer. The trajectory. Gifted. And, uh, you know, she knows where she can control where she lands it. And um, if she gets if she works that out, which she probably will, um, she's going to be good. And there's plenty of people in the field who are going to do that as well. So It's always a close race between these out. two, Logue. But what's more important this week, attitude or aptitude? Uh, if I knew that right <laughs> off. <laughs> the point, I, I, it feels to me, Emma, like attitude will be at least as big a component in who's there Sunday afternoon this week. Very, very easy to get frustrated particularly on a Lynx golf course when it's not the sort of golf you're used to. Justin Thomas. You're hitting the shots that you're used to hitting and you're not getting the results that you're used to getting. She who can handle that side the best and the emotions the best, which is always more of a factor in majors than other golf, that feels this week on a golf course where you're constantly off kilter and the wind's always changing. I feel like patience and emotional control is going to be at least as important to how well you hit the ball this week. Oh, I think so. But I, I just think it's so hard to predict who's going to come out on top. I mean, that's, oh, that's the come. thing. So it's just not, it's not, it's not an easy prediction. I was, I was trying to look at it today as I was finishing off the, you know, this sort of, you know, preview. And I was thinking I actually can't pick a winner because it's just too, it's too tough. Cause as you say, if you start in, if the ground, if the round starts going against you, they, there is the potential to completely implode because. As you say, if you don't get your head in and and sort of try and control your emotion, you, you're going to be you're going to be you know it could get quite high score you know high scoring. I just yeah, I think it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, the conditions are meant to be not too tough, like from the point of view of rain and things like that. As last time I looked, it's meant to be reasonably dry. The wind's not meant to be too strong, but again, you know, you by the sea, it can suddenly swirl up, can't it? So. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, if you can keep cool, we know there's a lot of lot of them out there that can and don't show much emotion at all. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, no, I can tell you Lydia Coe's going to win. I told you that last week, and I'm telling you again that <laughs> Lydia Coe's close. She was close last week. Well, and? And Celine, well, you see with Celine Boutier. Celine Boutier, Boutier yeah. see with... Um, you know, there's so many of them. This is why when I sort of wrote my piece, I was like, I'm going to take a stab at someone in the top 20 in the world. <laughs> I was like, well, yeah. that gives me 20 players that potentially might win. I'm probably going to get, I might get someone from that. But it's uh, it, it's it's just such an unknown. Again, at least if they've played somewhere, if they've played it before, and there's a few of them that played it before. I know obviously on a rotor, it doesn't necessarily mean you played it very often, but there's literally nothing to mark it against. Lydia really, Cole apart from be- Dundonald last week. Lydia Coe will be in contention. I'll tell you what won't happen this week, which is what we saw last week. There's not going to be a 10-under Sunday from anybody. Ah, if Lydia Coe had played the from, golf yep. on Sunday last week, she shot 1-under last week, but everybody and else was shooting 5-and-6. Fudoe was 10-under. 10-under, yeah, she shot 62. What an amazing round. Yeah, absolutely. An extraordinary round of golf. That's not going to happen this week. And you know, Lydia Coe really didn't hold a putt 
pretty much over the weekend is the truth of it. Mm. That's her kind of golf. She shoots one under Sunday in the same position this coming week. Or 18 pars. Probably, well, exactly. Could, uh, could go close. And I think that's where it starts to separate. Um, and if she well, something, well, yeah. I was going to say something that was pointed out today was that with Minji, that she's um, only finished, like, I think it's in the last four. She's only finished, like, the worst place she's finished is 11th. Yeah. yeah, yeah so she's, she's, uh, she's like a third, fifth, 11th, like 10th. And I was like, wow, that's pretty impressive to, you know, have that many sort of nearly top tens in the last four or five outings there, yeah. like in obviously at different locations. She's, she's got to be on everyone's radar still, uh, even though I predicted her for Evian and she didn't, she didn't come <laughs> didn't, through for me. I, I don't think it suits Minji's game, playing Lynx golf necessarily. Which she, is I, crazy if you look at the results of the last four years, as Emma's just pointed out. Yeah. yeah. However, she's uh, very analytical. So she, she's one who can work it out. Like she'll just look at it and go, well, I, I normally land the ball and it just stops where it lands. Now I just need to land it over there. And, and it will finish where I want it to She can go. still land it where she wants to. She so. feels to me Minji Lee has stepped up into that elite class, there's probably somewhere between five and 15 players in the world who are in that across men's and women's, where she's just good enough that it kind of doesn't matter. Nelly's in that same boat. <laughs> Jin Young Ko is in that same – in that – you're exactly right. She can work it out, but she's got – she's going to play well because it's an important tournament, and so then you have to play well. And it's uh, not unlike and, where she won the US Open as well, probably right. some of the playing characteristics. And there's probably some. a handful of players in this field who could go seven under on Sunday to win it from way back. She's one of them. There's maybe four or five of them, and she's one of them. Lydia Coe's one. Jin Young Coe's one. Nelly Corder's one. There's a handful of players who might be able to do that when everyone else is shooting two over, but there's not many of did them. You, I was going to say, did you see that they've um, they've paired together the, the, mm. the top three? So uh, Jin Young Coe, Nelly Corder, well, obviously, should I say Minji because she's two, and, and Nelly Corder the, uh, are all playing together for the first two rounds. So that should be an interesting be fascinating group to watch. to watch. Yeah, it'd be fascinating. Because three very different styles of play and three incredibly effective styles of play. Minji Lee and Lydia, uh, Jin Young Ko are probably a little bit closer in style. Yeah. But Nelly Corder is almost the polar opposite of Jin Young Ko in so many ways. It'll be, uh, yeah, and they could drag each other along is the other thing. Yeah? The three of them might jump out the gates and over the first two days, who knows what they might push each other to. You end up with a jewel in the sun sort of yeah. scenario with, you know, where the Robert Green, or was it um, Hubert Green said he won this tournament. I don't know what the one of those guys were playing. <laughs> I consider that I won this Open, which is. Yeah, all 35,000 of those spectators might be just following that group. Yeah, well, uh, well, and truly. Now, of course, it's uh, Women's Open Week, Emma, which is extraordinarily exciting, and I can't wait. I'm going to be watching more this week than I have done probably since the Open in terms of golf. It's also Women and Girls Golf Week, which I imagine is, not imagine, I know, is a huge week for your publication's the wrong word, isn't it? <laughs> for for women and golf, you've run a bunch of special stuff this week. Talk to us a little bit about what Women and Girls Golf Week is. Berate us for not giving it more coverage, because I was just going to say, it doesn't get much coverage, and I realise well, I'm in charge of some of that coverage, and we've done nothing about it. Uh, how are we going to solve some of those problems? And tell us some of the good positive stories I know you've been doing about women in the golf industry. Well, um, yeah, you say publication. I always say I'm just a website, which makes it sound like it's nothing, but it's a lot of hard work to just uh, run a website. But, you'd rather have a website no, than women a publication in, in this day and age, I can tell you, Emma. One's going up <laughs> and one's going down. Sorry I interrupted yeah. you. No, well, Women and Girls Golf Week, this is the fifth, year that um that's been celebrated and uh, to be honest i would say it's more more a uk based um campaign but it was uh, it's run by england golf and um what they've done is really try and bring all the national government bodies across the uk and beyond but 
really it's sort of a UK, more UK and Ireland based uh, campaign just to sort of celebrate and showcase women and girls golf. And every day there's a different theme. So I, you, you put me on the spot from the point of view of remembering them all. And Lauren at England Golf will be very mad for me for not remembering. But but, but yesterday was careers, today's volunteering, um, the next day's health and well-being. Then we've got um, tournaments or to do with sort of professional play. Um, and then I believe we have sort of, you know, a way to get into golf as well and things like that. So we cover a different topic every single day. Um, and obviously, as you know, I'm quite passionate about women working in the industry that's my big thing in showcasing all the different roles there are so careers day yesterday was my pretty much my big one of of the week really and I've got I do have stuff going out every day so it was just really good I had the opportunity to showcase um just really to show people that there are so many different roles and not just for women, but obviously the theme is women Uh, but there's so many different roles within the golf industry that you can have pretty much any skill set and you'll be able to find a role within golf. And I, and I hope that's what we showed yesterday with some of the examples of, uh, we had 11 women who work with in different, varying different roles and different companies. Um, and yeah, it was, it's, it's just, it's a good sort of fun celebration and England golf will be at, uh, they are at the women's open and they'll be, we're seeing lots of pictures pop up with people with their board saying women and girls uh golf week so yeah it's as i say fifth year of doing it so it's it's great game momentum and they they do it always at the women's open to try and sort of uh, use that as a platform it's proper grassroots coverage it seems to me emma of people oh, we've been talking about minji lee and nelly corder and lydia go and they're stars they're kind of celebrities in golf what 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 you're talking about and the sort of coverage you're giving is a much more grassroots kind of idea what kinds of stories and feedback do you hear what's golf doing well and where do we need to keep doing better i feel the last few years we've we're inching in the right direction but we're not as we are in most sections of society we're not racing ahead with with change that's just not the way things work what's your sense when you talk to women in the industry and those women who are volunteering and that what's your sense of of how we're doing i suppose golf what's our scorecard well it's probably sort of two separate things. I mean, from 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 my point of view, whenever I speak to people or women that work within the industry, the, the feedback's always so positive. They, you know, they, that most people are having or most women are having a positive experience. And that's what was so refreshing with the piece I, I got to put together with, you know, women saying why they love working in the golf industry, because actually it's a great industry to work in. And and, you know, there are, it's almost like, it's almost like since maybe even the launch of the charter in 2018, that the RNA launched, that you suddenly feel like there's, there seems to feel like there's more women around. Um, I know I recently got to go on a product launch for one of the, one of the main um, hardware brands, and it was um, a women's specific launch. That's never happened before. I don't know whether it's happened in Australia, but it's never happened before in, in Europe. Um, it was so refreshing and you had equipment editors going, I've never been in a room full, full of women before. This is like, this is unusual in the golf industry. So things are really changing. And as you say, I know it always does feel like it's pretty slow, but I think uh, the other thing I want to say was about when you said about volunteers, um, that's probably an area that, that there's a bit of a struggle because, you know, with the launch of the chart and with the idea that you need to have charter champions at your golf clubs and things like that, um, it's always sometimes quite hard to recruit 
but that has that can be a man or a woman into those sorts of roles. So I think you know volunteering is probably across not just golf. I'm sure across many sports and many industries, volunteering is is a tricky tricky area. But the people that do volunteer, you know, again the feedbacks that they they find it extremely rewarding. Encouraging to hear Emma say that, because you expect to hear a bunch of stories about how difficult it can be to be a woman in the golf industry, and I'm glad that that's not the case. However, outside the game, to bang this drum again, I just saw this again today. I think Huggy commented on this tweet. Alistair Campbell, whose role I'm not sure, but he's in politics in the UK, accusing, I think it was Liz Truss, of going after the golf club bores and other right wings. So there you go, golf front and centre. That's what, if you're a golfer, that that's what you are, this image that the game has. And I would imagine that outside golf, most people would expect a bunch of horror stories from women in the industry. How do we get beyond? We're we're all in the golf industry and we are all just speaking to golfers. How do we get outside that? Mm, I mean, I know you love that UK politics stuff you'll uh should, oh, it's the, greatest, it's the greatest clown show on earth. You should earth do a podcast on that. Yes, it you, really is. People don't know that about I you. I pity you living just, there, Emma. I really do. It's the, one, it's, it's the one joy you have in life is following the few things your, that makes me UK smile, politics. Yeah. Um, I, I think, to answer your question, um, following along and uh, including some women in the media you consume, I think, is, is one way to um, have, actually have some change occur. Uh, we'll we'll include a link in the show notes, of course, to but Karen Harding, Hannah, <laughs> Emma, yep. and Nicole from Mediate, who we've had on the podcast. There's four straight up the people that you should be following on Twitter at the very least. That's right, and Nicole Wheatley uh, from Mediate is uh, profiled in Emma's yeah. article as well, uh, along with Olivia McMillan, who'd be familiar to a lot of Australian golf media. She's um, former Australian uh, PGA now with the RNA. Now with the RNA, and uh, uh, a lot of other great stories in there as well. Um, and you know that that to me is just exposing yourself to some other viewpoints is is what it's all about. You don't need to engage; you just need to listen and um, follow and uh, just get a, a little bit out. It's just a tiny little move outside of your echo chamber um, to include a few more voices, and uh, I think that's that's the way to start some change. Yeah, and I was going to say that the one thing I haven't had time to do is to try and find out where, you know, in the UK, again, I keep saying UK, it's probably in England, you know, we had a massive influx of female golfers um, over the, since the pandemic hit. And, you know, I think the number that was quoted was like half a million. I'd love to know where those half a million women are. But, you know, I've not had time to ask all these people, you know, why, what made the difference? You know, what made that difference? Obviously, I know it was the only sport in our country that was able to be accessed to start with. But, you know, if your perception of golf was so bad, you know, it's not welcoming, it's too expensive, you know, it's it's male dominated. What suddenly changed in those women's minds that mm. went, oh, do you know what, actually, I'm just going to give it a go. Maybe Ooh. it was they were invited I have no, I just, I, you know, it, it's, you know, I've, you only have to, well, you only have to, I only have to flick on my Instagram and there's another person telling me that they're going to show me their golfing journey and please come with me on, on my golfing journey. Um, and so there's so many more women out there sort of showing, showcasing golf as well from a, from a grassroots level um, that it's, you know, and then once they get into it, they almost like, oh, this is a great, this is great. I love it. I want to be more involved and they get more involved and they want to start working in the industry and it's like a knock-on effect but I don't know why people have that 
the, what the barrier was there in the first place is what I'm trying to say. Maybe it, it must have helped to have pink golf equipment. No, of that course, must have, yes. Whole oh, corners of that, some golf shops have been Pink has its place. <laughs> sure I, it I still believe pink has its place. <laughs> I do too. But no, it, and, but even, even brands have cotton on to the, the fact that that doesn't work anymore. But there is a difference. There is a massive difference between the way that men, men and women shop and they look for products and things like that. And I think, I don't think golf's quite worked that out as such. Um, but again, in this country, you know, if you've only got 15 to 20% of members uh, are women, you know, why would uh, why would a golf shop or anything want to stock 50% of their stock being women's stuff? Even, you know, I, I, I sort of, I can see, I can see both both sides of the argument. Um, but it is, it is just, I find it fascinating to think that people have just come into this sport and people are now coming in on their own. Like I would always say that women would want mm. to come with a friend, but now they're just coming in on their own to play. Um, and I think it's it's interesting. Maybe people have relooked at their lives because of a pandemic and decided that you're gonna, they're going to give something a go. But yeah, I I, I don't know. It's, I'm uh, fascinated, Emma. I it can't... took a pandemic. It took a pandemic to increase yeah. the participation of well, women. And I want to hear those stories once you've gone out and found them because I'm intrigued now because I'd never thought of it that way. But you're quite right. That sudden flip of attitude. I know, and you're right. It was the only option. But for a lot of people, would have thought, well, it's either golf or nothing. I'll take nothing. So I'll be interested to hear. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but back to the business side of things, and this has always intrigued me. I've never been able to understand this. You write about the shop owner who looks at who comes in and what sort of stock they should have. You can understand that. Only 10% of my customers are women, so 10% of my stock will cater to women. The people who sell that stuff, who make that stuff, the apparel makers and the equipment manufacturers and those people, how much business have they left on the table over the decades and generations by not encouraging more women to play golf? Mm -hmm. And to tap into a stereotype, particularly in apparel, where we know less so probably with younger blokes than perhaps my generation, and I don't know, more lokes, probably more stylish than I am, but the money that's been left on the table by not involving that entire demographic actively is madness. I've never been able to understand how that makes sense. If you if you were in the business of selling golf clothes, wouldn't you want as many women playing golf as possible? No manufacturers grow the pie, though, do they? They just that's right. They just fight over what's there, and so they're looking at that fifteen percent. It's actually a bit higher in Australia. There's I only fifteen percent. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's we're almost up to thirty. I think. But it's less than it was in the seventies. The percentage of right? women playing golf and who are club members. Yeah, in the seventies oh, it was higher. We'd actually gone backwards anyway. So that's all. Um, yeah, but, but they'll, think, they'll squabble think, over that. But. But obviously, the other thing I think I find interesting with with sort of well, in the last eighteen months I've been doing this job is that what is let's take a power for example, what's on offer is that what the majority of golfers want. So I, again, I'm quoting things that probably aren't accurate anymore. But you know, the last time that I heard a number thrown out there that the average age of um, of, a, of a female golf member is sixty five. Mm-hmm. Well, most of the stuff I see online for clothing is for a 25-year-old, you know. Um, So a lot of the time I think we're going, a lot of brands are going for that market that doesn't, it does exist, but it's a small part of that market. Um, And a lot of the time the complaints you hear is the fact that actually the clothing and things that are available is not what what the majority of women golfers want. Um, Mm. But do they want to be trying to sell products to you know they should be because that's where the disposable income is. But do they do they want to be making clothes that are appropriate or, or the, that that sort of age group would like? And that's again a, a massive quandary. You know, I think men men's golf is a little bit easier. It's you know 
no offense, but it's more sort of the polo shirt, mm. chino, whatever type look. Um, and that can transcend between generations. Whereas if you've got a golf dress, that's not necessarily going to appeal to, you know, the style of it's not necessarily going to appeal to every single mm. woman out there. Yeah, you can't necessarily walk off a golf course into the shopping mall in a golf golf dress, can you? But uh, Well, it depends. There's some out there that we apparently can. So. Men, men walk around in... <laughs> You know, foot joy shirts and everything everywhere. Uh, that I'm interested in that observation that a lot of women's apparel is apparel. So I'm, the I'm, apparel? I'm, uh, when did you, you start? It's this just not a, a word. It's ago. just not a word I say very often. But <laughs> anyway, I knew you were going to get me on that. Uh, the, let's just move on. I'm just going to move oh. on. Uh, the um, it the, the aimed at a younger audience. I think that the heavy lifting is being done there by independent brands and smaller brands that are starting up. Um, they're looking to try and find new audiences um, by introducing people to golf with clothes that young women might want to wear. And uh, the big brands are just like the volume businesses. They're just doing the boring stuff that you know. It's just. But uh, Emma's right in as much as and you hear this on the golf makes this mistake. We want to go after youth and younger people, and there's nothing wrong with that per se. But if the reality of your demographic, and it has been for golf for as long as I can remember, when I was in my twenties playing golf, you were in a minority. Now I'm in my fifties in golf, you're in the majority. There's nothing wrong with that as a market. Why does no. golf need to be ashamed of that as a market? Their Absolutely. money cashes just as well. Absolutely. As like one of the money. things that governing bodies could do to grow the game, in inverted commas, is put more money into target forty plus <laughs> year old people. When's <laughs> the time in life when people have time for golf? Once into the demographics. It's just incredibly obvious. There, there's the demographic. That but they don't. They know the, think the complete opposite. Young, young, young. Have I was going to say it's you, two. I was going to say it's twofold. It's that. It's the forty plus market, and it's and it's the grassroots junior. It's the juniors. Yeah. You know, get the girls and boys in early, and then if they drop out because of school, work, children, whatever the commitments are, they've played golf. And that's the main thing. They've actually had a taste of it. And then when they're 30-something or whatever and and the kids are a little bit older, they again come back into golf. Part of the... uh, That's always been my theory is that you're right. I think you've got to... We don't target the over over 40 market enough um, at all because... And, you know, and I've met people over the years that have said, you know, 60, 65, oh, gosh, I wish I'd started playing this 20 years ago. (laughs) Yes. And you're like, oh, well, I just wish you had, you know. But it's, it's, it's... it's a funny one. We are very keen to get this twenty to twenty to sort of and, forty market and playing genius. lots of golf, and actually, it's really, really hard. Really of course, hard. that's where the government funding is targeted towards as well, though. So, mm. governing bodies they, they need to be seen to be investing in junior golf. No, it's, it's more than just needing to be seen. That you're raising a valid point that you introduce people to golf, they'll come back to it later in life. It's part of the whole Oh, there's no question. And that's how most people's golf career, quote-unquote, actually unfolds. They play as a kid, they get married, they go off career, they don't play golf for 10, 15 years, then the time comes around again. Their best golfing years, they're taken out of the game. That's exactly right. They bust their best (laughs) golfing years. But (laughs) this kind of plugs into the public golf thing as well. I get what you're saying. Yes, we know that the government funding, you know, is targeted towards, et cetera. But that doesn't make any sense. Golf is one of the few recreations and activities that governments could fund Sounds like for an older demographic. Sounds like you're anti-children, Rod. Not anti them. I, I don't have any. but um, No, but the point being, and we see this, so this whole Northcote thing that happened, we've got a public yep. golf course down here, remember, that's, you know, there's been a bunch of people that said they wanted to close it because they opened it as a park during the pandemic when it wasn't used as a course. So all these people said, oh, it's lovely. We should have this as a park, et cetera, et cetera. 
the council there should have a responsibility to that older demographic. All of the money they invest in sport, you're right, is for younger people, football fields and tennis courts and netball and hockey and all of those sorts of things and basketball, etc. They have a responsibility to offer something for an older demographic as well. Golf and lawn bowls are the two that you think of. That's the image of those two games, partly for a reason. If you close those courses and shut off those facilities, you're just discriminating against an entire demographic who could otherwise enjoy it. And the great thing is that you're not taking that activity away from younger people at the same time. You're just making it available for all. So there's something more than just the business of it. Golf is one of the few recreations that governments could promote for older people to become active, if not already, or to continue to be active into later life. Does Rod have a point there, Emma, or is he a monster with his children <laughs> position? Do you know what? I, uh, well, I, I'm, I'm going to still stick with my whole, you know, I do think it should be, there'd be investment in both both ends. I'm not so sure about the middle the middle sort of age group there, but there's there's part of me that's got a bit frustrated um, in the last few years that, that that older generation is almost, you know, you know, we we shouldn't we don't want to deal with them. You know, uh, you know, we, we're so targeted on these younger people coming in that actually don't care about those people that have been paying their subs for the last 20, mm-hmm. 30 years, who actually have basically invested so much money into a golf club or a golf facility. And I I wrote something in, uh, probably, I don't know, 12 months, 14 months ago about that. You know, they're the ones that are probably volunteering. They're the ones on the committee. They're the ones that everyone's having a go about. But they're not that, you know, the people that are having a go about it aren't actually ones making any change. Yeah. And I, I it, we're never going to fight. I mean, how do you, how do we please everybody? You know, that's the problem. How do we, do, how do we cater for everybody? It should be easy, but it seems to not be that that way. And, and the fact that you could have an eight-year-old, and you could have a, an eight-year-old, uh, and then everyone in between, like it, you know, so so golf has that brilliant part that anyone can play. Mm. But then also that other thing of, you know, as a business, the golf clubs or wherever the facilities, like how do they cater to and keep everybody happy? It's pretty hard, I would yeah. think. Um, and it does make me sort of get mad that this sort of older generations are almost like, oh, they're, they're going to die soon. So we don't care about them. We'll, well get the new people in. You can, feel sometimes. you can always dedicate a bench to them on the golf course. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, how are golf courses just, just not completely it, it overrun? Me. Golf courses must be completely overrun with benches by the time you've dedicated enough of them to. There's a business there. I was playing somewhere. A van with the little plaques, and you can go around and engrave them. The golf clubs ring up, you go and you engrave whatever you want them so they can put it on the new. Well, I was playing a course in Melbourne recently that had uh, uh, like some sort of piece of course furniture dedicated to everybody. I think some members would have felt left out. They didn't have a piece of course furniture dedicated to them. uh, On a bit of a tangent, uh, a, a girl I used to work with a while ago, she. This is to do with lawn bowls, not golf, but I think it's probably a similar image. She said to me, we're having this fundraising event. Would you like to come to it? I said, oh, maybe. I don't know. Where is it? She said, it's at the Lane Cove Diddy. I said, the where? She said, the Lane Cove Diddy. So the bowling club. I said, why do you call it the Diddy? And she said, oh, didn't you know that? <laughs> That's what they call it. Because every week it's like, where's Bob? Oh, did he die, did he? <laughs> so they, they call it the Diddy. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Isn't that just... Outstanding, <laughs> Diddy well, guy. Diddy. But the, simil- the similarities between golf and lawn bowls are, are unbelievable, really. And I've I've done some research into it as well, actually, in the past. And you know, they're 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 going for the same market. Yeah. They're, going, they're going for that forty plus market. 
So, uh, you know, we've got some stiff competition from lawn bowls. We better watch out. Yeah. You can have a bench at each end of the <laughs> bowling as well. So. <laughs> Maybe the tray they bring the drinks out on for <laughs> should be dedicated <laughs> yeah. to, to one of the members. Emma, I'm jealous that you're there. Uh, I think uh, I, I've not been to a women's open. I've been to one men's open back in 97. I'd love to go to a women's open. I might even give some thought to 2024 at the old course. I think that'll be special. But you're there this week, which is going to be special as well. Appreciate you joining us. Have a great week. Uh, if people want to follow you on Twitter, etc., where do they go? I think you mentioned Instagram as well, one of these other things I'm not familiar with. Where, where can people find you this week so they can follow your coverage? Well, it's well, it's women and golf, but it's women underscore and underscore golf, which is always is. a great one. Yep. We have to find that one. But hopefully if you just search for it, you'll find it. And I'm uh, on my Twitter. It's Emma off Twitter. But it's not spelt the right way, so you have to put in the show notes for me, please. Yep. Thank Hello. You. Are you making a note of Making notes. <laughs> there you go. Copy and paste. Well done. He'll put it. We'll put it in the show notes. Emma, great of you to join us. Really appreciate that. Have a great week. I think you're sitting next to John Huggin this week. You told me so. That'll be interesting to say. I mean, when you get to sit next to someone like John Huggin, you're very, very lucky, aren't you? So um, I'm very pleased. I finally said hello to him after all these years. (laughs) He's a terrifying looking, absolutely terrifying. To look at him, you. Terrifying. You speak to him and he's a delight. It's, yeah. it's not it's not terrifying. It's just I'm a bit in awe. He's a great writer and I you know, the last thing he needs to do is spend time chatting to me. So it's it's quite an honor to sit next to him. He, he is one of the very best. And partly because he doesn't think he's one of the very best, but he is without doubt one of the very best. And if you haven't read on Logue, you're gonna look up the link, I'm sure, to his story on Muirfield. <laughs> For the listeners, it's well worth a read and it'll still be worth reading. It's one of those you'll read it next year and it'll still be relevant and good and the year after and the year after. So, Emma, great to talk to you. Say good day to Huggy for us. Enjoy the week and uh, look forward to all your coverage on social media. Logue, good to have you in. Glad that the walk met with your appeal. We just need to find your coffee shop now. It's downhill on the way back too, so. Maybe even downwind you'd be lucky, wouldn't you? You'll get there in no time. Um, That's episode, what did I say? 115? Hang on, gotta go to the top. 115, done and dusted. Episode 116 coming hopefully next week here at the Good Good Golf Podcast.